pray for our country, pray for our nation, pray for, um, uh, the. as you noted in the video there, since 1973, uh, almost 60 million uh, babies aborted. Um, and uh, this is a gospel issue. And, um, and as we talk about all kinds of issues, some people are like, this is a political issue. No, see, um, it grows out of the gospel that men and women are made in the image of God. And from that moment of conception are precious and are to be protected. And so uh, gospel roots grow the fruit of how we talk about issues in our society. And so that's important. So let's go ahead and just have a word of prayer um, as we uh, prepare to begin uh, the word today. Father, Lord, as we, as we talk about the rights of the aborn, unborn, as we pray for that here, and, and there was a large march for life in our nation's capital, Lord, Father, help us to be gospel people who take the truth of God and are unashamed to stand up for what your word has declared. And so, Father, we pray, God, for um, our nation, Lord, for the leaders of our nation, God, that they would uh, understand, they would understand, God, the beauty of life that you have created. And, and it's crazy, Lord, how, how we can take bacteria that we find on Mars and say, we found life on Mars and a few cells, and yet in a mother's womb, we can destroy a heartbeat. And so, Father, I know there are touchy issues. I know, God, there are many things about this that our emotions kick up. But, Lord, we are people who are going to be about your word, and we're going to stand upon that. So we pray. We pray for women, God, that you would shelter them and encourage them, Father God. We pray for men who love those women in their lives. We pray, God, you would encourage them. And as, as many people in our, in our city, we pray for the Crisis Pregnancy Center here of Tidewater, God, the, the great work they do of being a help and a service, God, to, to those women and to those children. Lord, and we pray for us as the body that we wouldn't just shout, protect the rights of the unborn, but we would help those families and those children as they're born into difficult situations as they're born into poverty. And we would be the church that would protect that life from conception all the way to death. Because, Lord, that individual is made in your image. And so, God, we offer up this prayer to you over our nation, over us as a church, over, God, those who are faced with making these decisions, God, that it is not about reproductive health. It is about the health and wellness of another being a human being that is growing inside of them. And Lord, I pray just against Satan and how he would try to discourage. I know there are people in this very room who have had abortions, God. And I pray, Father God, that you would speak to them and love on them and they would receive the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And they would hear you say, where are those who condemn you, my child? And they would be able to say they're gone. And they would hear the words of Jesus said, neither do I condemn go now and sin where they'd receive the grace, the love, and the great forgiveness and the healing that they need, Father. And so, God, we offer up this prayer to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we're in this series called Abide, um, it is a time for us to remember as we start the new year um, to abide. And to abide means to live within. And, John, we may need some house lights uh, up here in just a second, because I may trip on, fall on something. I'll probably do that with the lights, but um, but we're in this series called Abide, and Abide means to remain in, or it means this, to live within, to live within. And and so we've been talking about abiding or living within God's presence, and, and we've been 
challenging one another to spend time with God. The most important thing we said last week that you can do in 2019 is to spend time with God. He's your maker. He's your creator. He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows your destiny. And the most important thing that I could do, that you could do in 2019 is spend time in the presence of our creator. And so do you make time for that? And what is your rhythm of that? What is your habit of that? Have you made that a habit? Regular presence, regular time in God's presence, reading the scriptures, praying, and doing that. We've made some resources available at both the front and back of the churches, some reading plans, some little daily bread uh, uh, booklets there, some online things you can get uh, for a variety of ways, right, that we learn and that sort of stuff so we can see visually. Uh, and I encourage you to get those and pick those up. And so, but today the, the title of the message is this, is Abide in Community. Abide in Community. Uh, or if, if you want a different uh, title, I can, I can title it like this. I thought about this. We can call it Stop Dating the Church. If you, you pick which title you like, and you could write that down on your notes. Stop dating the church or abide in community. And, and sort of it's this idea that we're called to live within the presence of God, but we're also called to live within the presence of other believers. There's no such thing as a solitary saint. Many of us think like the greatest spiritual people are those who can go to a monastery or who can go up to a mountain and just pray and be by themselves. But that's not the picture of the Bible. The Bible would say it's really easy to be holy when you're by yourself. You don't have nobody around you to grate your nerves, nobody with bad breath, nobody who interrupts your time and presence with the Lord. You can be you can be the holiest person when you're a solitary saint. But your true Christianity is tested when you rub up against other human beings and they don't do what you want them to do. That's the true test of our Christianity. See. The most important commandments, right, that Jesus gave us. A man walked up to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandments? All of the Bible, right? All of the Bible, what are the most important commandments? And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's this vertical relationship, right? And then he said, love your neighbor. That's our horizontal relationship. Love your neighbor, your spouse is your closest neighbor, your children, your siblings are your closest neighbors, and outgrow from there your coworkers and classmates, your cousins, okay, right? That's the second most important commandment. So abiding with God and then abiding in community with others and, and being committed. And so I want you to reach over and, and touch your neighbor. We're going to have you say this here in a second. But um, we're called not just to believe, but we're called to belong. So reach over and touch your neighbor and tell them you belong. You belong. And maybe extend a little love to somebody. Tell them you belong. You belong. You weren't called just to believe. But you were called to belong. Like I said earlier, no solitary saints. Or maybe as uh, author Rick Warren said, you were formed for God's family. We weren't created as Christians to live in isolation. And so the challenge for all of us today, the thing that God is calling us to is that we are called, we are commanded to make a commitment to be a part of the body of Christ. Right? The local body of Christ. We're called and commanded to be a part of that, to have a committed part in that. But I don't know about you. I struggle with commitment. Maybe you don't struggle with commitment, but I do. Maybe it's part of my generation, right? We're younger generations. We're not as loyal and as committed to organizations, uh, to our jobs as generations before us. You know, people change jobs like they change underwear now. People switch political parties. We switch uh, even now, right? All the cell phone companies and all your internet companies now, they're all pretty much going 
No contract. Remember, you used to have to sign a two-year agreement. See, I love that two-year agreement. You want to know why I love that two-year agreement? Because if I sign that two-year agreement, I got a phone for like a dollar. See, and I was all excited to pay a dollar for a phone. One of my friends actually was telling me who was up here earlier. He was joking me because he was talking about my dollar phone. And then I told him that I paid $2 for my case. And he said, so what you're telling me is you paid more for the case than you did for the phone? And uh, he wasn't very impressed with the quality of my phone. Um, but now that they don't do the two-year agreements, so the way they lock you into that is you got to pay for the phone. Until you pay for the phone, you can do whatever. But everything is no contract now. And, and, uh, and I don't have a commitment issue with people. I'm committed to people. Um, and if I make a commitment to you as a person, I'm committed to my wife and to my kids. But it's other things that I struggle with commitment, like eating out. Right? And, 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 and you have to make a choice. My wife will go out. We don't get to go out all that often. You know, it's like, man, we're eating at home so often. And I go out and I'm going to spend this money. I want to make the right choice. Right? And so it's like, oh, what do we pick? Do we go with this? Do we go with something familiar that we know we'll like? Or do we step out in faith and, and try something new that we don't cook at home? And it's this great dilemma. You know what the greater dilemma is? When I go to like a buffet, or, or especially the cafeteria style buffets, you know, like you remember the K&W, right, where you get the tray and you got to go in line and you pick stuff out. See, I can handle, I like uh, Golden Corral because there's a big open space and I can kind of see over there and I can kind of gaze what I want. But when I'm in the line, I don't know what's up ahead. And I'm like, oh, I like this. But my plate might be full and it might be something better up there. I don't know what to do. And it's really a struggle. And I know that you feel my pain. And um, I know that you'll be praying for me. But we struggle sometimes with commitment and commitment to, again, all types of other things. People don't want to commit. And, um, and I fear that that happens within the church as well. People don't want to make a commitment to the local church. Maybe you heard the story. We like to be involved but we don't want to be committed. Maybe you heard the story, right? Very familiar little anecdote, cute little story about the pig and the chicken. And the pig and the chicken overheard the farmer talking one day about his birthday coming up. And they said, hey, let's make a breakfast for the farmer. It's his birthday coming up. And then I know he would like a great breakfast. And the pig said, man, that's a great idea. That farmer is such a great farmer. He's a nice guy. Man, let, let's make him some breakfast. What do you think we should make the farmer for breakfast? What do you think he wants some pancakes. You think he wants some grits? And, uh, and the chicken says, man, I overheard him tell his wife he loves eggs and bacon. Let's make him some eggs and bacon. And the pig then looked at the chicken. He said, no, no, we're not doing that because I would be committed to that and you would only be involved. And that's not a fair deal. And so many of us want to be involved with a local church body. Nobody really wants to be committed. And so I want to talk to you today as we think about signing our covenants as members here. I want to talk to you about being committed to the local body. And commitment really shapes us, right? I mean, athletes, when they commit to preparing for the Olympics, it shapes their life, their schedule. It, it, they, they have to go into that. And really, you can't do anything well in life without being committed to it. You want to eat healthier this year? You have to be committed. It's not a problem of information. You know donuts are not healthy for you, and vegetables are. The problem is not information. The problem is 
I'm just not committed to this. You can't buy a car, right? Without being committed to pay for it. You can't be successful in school without being committed to doing your homework or paying attention in class. Your marriage cannot work unless you are committed to it. We need to be committed to it. You need a cause, something bigger than yourself to be committed to. And so what does this commitment look like? And as we uh, came across just a quote about how important um, community is, that, that we are called to be a part of the body of Christ, not just a body part. Because I mean, you know the Bible refers to the body of Christ, uh, the church, as the body, right? How many of you know that you're a body part, right? You're an arm, you're a leg, some of you are toes, some of you are armpits, some of you are ears and mouths and eyes, some of you are intestines and spleen and a heart and lungs, okay? But just imagine, though, if that body part, if that organ was a separate piece, right? And it was just over here, detached from the body. If I just pop my spleen out, you know, just pop, and I set my spleen down over here. Don't you love what a clean spleen I have? It's from eating at all those cafeterias. And um, what would happen to that body part? It would die. Why? Because it's not attached to the body. It's not attached to the nourishment. And obviously, Christ is our nourishment. But we need to be attached to the body in the same way. We're not just, I said this to our leadership team on a number of occasions, we, we often act like a body, like a mannequin that's just in a box. We're a bunch of different body parts, and we're like, hey, we're in the same building. We're in the same building. We're all together in the same building, and we're just like a bunch of body parts in a box. That's not an actual body, right, that's moving, that's doing things, that's operating, that's in sync, that's committed to one another. And so this idea of committing to a community is important. Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, whose birthday we'll celebrate tomorrow, uh, and I know many in our culture know him as a civil rights leader, but it's helpful to remind people that his doctorate, uh, at least one of them, was in theology. He was a Baptist pastor, and so sometimes our world loves his civil rights speeches, but often would shudder perhaps at the rest. And, and, and again, as I said about we, issues that we talk about unborn children are born out of the Scripture Dr. Martin Luther King understood that as he, as he read the scripture that all men are created equal in the image of God, the outgrowth of his civil rights was from the gospel, was from reading the scriptures. That's why he understood. That's why he had to speak out that this was wrong. But he said this about community. It's a, a quote I want to share with you. We'll put it on the screen. But he talks about agape love, which is godlike love. He says this, agape, that's the godlike love, is seeking to preserve and create what? Community, that's unity within one another. That's commitment to one another. The Greek word for community is koinonia. It means a deep, intimate sharing of everything that we are and we have. Agape love is seeking to preserve and create community. It is insistence on community even when one seeks to what? Break it. It says this, agape is a willingness to go to any length to restore community. And it doesn't stop at the first mile. It goes on the second mile to restore community. And it is a willingness to forgive, not seven times, but 70 times, seven to restore community. Then look what he says about the cross. The cross is the eternal expression of the length to which God will go in order to restore broken community. The problem with sin is that sin has destroyed our unity, our community with God, and with one another, with fellow human beings, mankind, and it destroys that. And the cross is God's expression to restore broken community. And then he says, 
about the resurrection. The resurrection is a symbol of God's trial triumph over all the forces that seek to block community. In other words, the greatest division maker is Satan, and he desires to create division in every home, in every family, in every city, state, neighborhood, every nation. He creates division, and God's heart is unity and community, togetherness and commitment to one another. The Holy Spirit is the continuing community, creating reality that moves through history. He who works against community is working against the whole of creation. Can you believe that? He was working against community, is working against the whole of creation. And so I want us to think about being committed to a local church. And I'll just tell you this right up front. You might be saying, you know what? You're a pastor. Of course you're going to say, make a commitment to the local church. You're the pastor. That's what you've got to say. I'll be happy to say this. You don't have to make a commitment to this local church. I will be just as happy if all of, I mean, maybe not all of you, but I'll follow you if you go, all right? That's, that's, I'll just follow you if you go, all right? But, but you need to make a commitment to a local church where you can get plugged into the body of Christ. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, then no, this is, that, that's, that's not on you. But if you're going to claim that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the need to be a part of the body is expected of you from God himself. You're not just a body part out there in there. You're not just the church. You're not the body yourself embodying all the body parts. You were created to live in community. So I want you to open your Bibles, and I apologize, I didn't say this earlier, to Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm jumping all around. I apologize for that, guys. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, if you're using a pew Bible, I'd invite you to do that. It's page 1006, and that's where we're going to be this morning, and I wanted to read that earlier, but I couldn't commit to following my outline. Hebrews chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible, again, there's a pew Bible in front of you or a mobile device, and we're just going to read um, a few short verses there. Hebrews chapter 10, page 1006 in the pew Bible, and uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 23, and uh, we'll make some application there, and then go on after that. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love. And good works. In fact, just reach over and touch your neighbor and tell him, I'm here to stir you up. I'm here to stir you up. In fact, you could, uh, the, the two Greek words here mean para and kismos. The two Greek words are alongside and then kismos is jab or a sharp edge. And so you can just elbow the person next to you and say, I'm here to be a sharp edge for you today. I'm just trying to stir you up, right? All right. Why do you guys get me so distracted? Back to the scripture here. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. In other words, some have a habit of not meeting together, not stirring one another up alongside one another, being there for one another. But notice what it says. But what? Encouraging one another and all the day more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. So let's make some uh, application here. Point number one, you could write this down is this. Why? When you make a commitment to the local church, here's what happens first. It is good for the assurance of your salvation. 
When you make a commitment to the local church, it is good for the assurance of your salvation. Now, let me be clear about this. In order to go to heaven, in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, going to church is not a requirement. Follow me? You are saved. You become a Christian. You are born again, regenerated, made new, given access into the presence of God and going to heaven based upon one thing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says we are saved by grace through faith, not by any good works. Okay, so you with me? So being a church member saves no one. However, so you could say it like this. I heard an old country preacher say, you don't have to go to church to be saved. But if you're saved, you're in church. You staying with me? I know it's, it's my little country accent, right? You don't have to go to church in order to be saved. But once you are saved and you are a Christian, you are in church as part of the connection, as part of the body that you are a part of. Look at what verse 23 says. Back in the same chapter of Hebrews 10, it says this. Let us hold fast or hold securely to the confession of our hope. In other words, he's saying, you as believers have made a confession of faith. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's what you said. You're saying, I'm reminding you to hold fast to that. How do you hold fast to that without wavering? For he who promised is faithful. And he's reminding us here that when we're a part of the local church, it's a good reminder that you have assurance of your confession. You have assurance of your salvation because you're part of the body. You're, you're, you're connected to that. And so local church membership helps you feel assured that you're not believing a bunch of lies, a bunch of nonsense. It's not your private self-made religion. But as Jude chapter one, verse three says, you're receiving the faith that's been passed down and handed down to all the saints. And so it's good for your own assurance. If you're not, if you're a Christian, you're not regularly and committed to a local church. You're giving people a right to question whether or not you're really saved. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that you are a disciple of Christ? If you have love for one another. You have love for one another. You, well, you might say, well, I do love people. I, I just go around the, the grocery store and I just love everyone. I'm just like a pixie fairy of love. and I just sprinkle love out everywhere I go as I'm in the Walmart checkout, as I'm in the you know, Starbucks, I just sprinkle love in my work. I, I, I am a disciple of Christ. Well, if you have a very basic, rudimentary, four-year-old version of love, then yeah, that's love. But you know love is way deeper than that, isn't it? Love is really being committed to the same person, to the same group of people. That's what love is. And so what the scripture is saying here, by, by if you have love for one another, is, is the love for the community of faith that God has placed you in. If you have that kind of love, it helps prove that you are truly saved. You're not the body of Christ on your own. And so point number one is this. Okay, When you make a commitment to a local church, and commitment is the key word there, not just involvement, it's good for the assurance of your own. It does not guarantee your salvation. Hear me clearly, right? But it is good. It's a good reminder for you. Because, uh, in fact, what the elders of the church are do are, are to verify your confession of faith. Yes, you're saying you're a Christian, and you have explained the gospel, we're, we're saying, yes, we see that, we see the fruit in you, and the other brothers and sisters here can encourage you that, yeah, I see fruit in your life. So that way, you're not wondering, man, am I really a Christian or not? So the body of Christ helps with that. Number two, you can write this down. When you make a commitment to the local church, 
is this. It's good for others. It's good for others. When you make a commitment to the local church, it is good for others. You help other people. By loving your neighbor as yourself, you build them up in the faith. John 15, that we looked at last where he said, abide in me, abide in me. And then Jesus said, my commandment is this, to love one another as I have loved you. You actually help other people. Look at what verse 24 says in the same text, Hebrews 10. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up what? One another to love and to good works. We're called, man, to stir up our brothers and sisters. You're, to, you're called to encourage them. They're running their race. They're getting tired. And you're there to be like, come on, you can do it. Let's go. Let's go. You got it. You can do this. I know you're struggling. I know your marriage is hard. I know that your husband is sick. I know your wife is, is, is just uh, preparing to divorce you. But listen to me. You can stay in this race. I know your kids are going crazy. I know the bills are, are just blowing your mind. But you can do it. Stay in the race. It's funny, that video we showed earlier with uh, Nigel, uh, my kids and I did a race uh, because he also, part of his ministry is to build safe houses for abused uh, children, children who have been trapped in sex, uh, slave, and all that sort of stuff. So they're building a safe house in South Africa. And one of the races we did was to support that. And Nigel was on the microphone. And of course, he was cheering people on as they came into the finish line. And, uh, and it was kind of funny. You hear him say all these different things to people. But it was encouraging because after you run all these miles, you want somebody to the finish line saying, come on. And, uh, and so he calls me Mac Daddy. He was like, let's go, Mac Daddy. And he was like, get across that line. And so it was a fun time. In the Bible, there are at least 59 one another commands. 59 one another commands. How could you as a Christian possibly obey those 59 commands if you're not connected to a local body? You're not committed to those people. You can't fulfill them. Here are just a few of them. Be at peace with one another. You're like, hey, I'm here today, Pastor. I'm at peace with everybody here. You don't know the people well enough. Wash one another's feet, John 13, 14. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Are you devoted to the people of this family in brotherly love? Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another just then as Christ has accepted you. How can you accept somebody if you don't know them and you're not committed to them? Instruct one another. How can you instruct them if you're not committed to them? You don't know them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some of you are like, yes, pastor. I'm ready to greet some of the people in this church with the holy kids. 1 Corinthians 11 says, when you come to eat together, wait for one another. Have equal concern for one another. Again, there are two more in First uh, and Second Corinthians. Greet one another with the holy kids. That's three times in the Bible. From our brother who was asking about the Song of Solomon sermon series. This is, I'm getting close here. I'm getting warmed up. All right. Serve one another in love. Let us not be conceited, provoking, or envying one another. Carry each other's burdens. How can you carry someone's burden if you're not committed to them and you don't know them? And so when you make a commitment to the local church, it is good for others. David Mathis helped us uh, explain this on Desiring God. He wrote this. He says, true love is only manifest in affection, action, and allegiance. Stay with me. True love is manifested in affection. That's like heart, feeling, action, right? you got to have some action, but also allegiance. We do not fully love our brothers and sisters in Christ if we are withholding, pledging our allegiance to them by covenanting with them in local church life. Love doesn't say, I love these people so much, I don't need to covenant with them. Rather, love does say, I love these people enough to covenant. In other words, to commit to them. 
And it's amazing how many things we will pledge allegiance to in our society, in our nation. And we'll be quick, quick to pledge allegiance to it. I'm not saying that's wrong. But have you ever pledged allegiance to the brothers and sisters of this church body? Do you take it that seriously? The ones we're going to spend all of eternity with. So when you commit yourself, commit, not just involved, to the local church body, it's good for others. Thirdly, it's good for you. It's good for you. As I said earlier, okay, uh, there are no solitary saints. You need more than just the Bible to grow as a Christian. Your spiritual muscles are developed when you are gathered in a community of faith. It's easy to be holy by yourself. It moves us away from our self-centeredness, from our isolation. It's good for you to learn to be committed to others. You become what you're committed to. And so it's good for you to exercise your spiritual muscles. You grow as that, right? And yes, church is messy. There are going to be people that you don't like. There are going to be people you disagree with. There are going to be people that smell differently than you, that, that vote differently than you, listen to different kind of music that are, come from a different cultural background, a different language than you. But when you're committed to those people because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it builds you up. It says more about you that you stay committed to something. But then the other side is this. You receive the benefit of the body. When people, when the people of this body care for you, like is happening in so many of our community groups, when people are walking through the storms of life and they receive the encouragement and commitment from others, they receive those one another's. You receive someone helping you bear your burden. You receive the instruction and, and acceptance of another. Man, it is huge. It's good for you to be cared for by the elders and leaders of this church, by those in your community group. You can't live in isolation, so it's good for you. So I have a favor to ask my good brother here. I'm going to ask my brother David to come up. I need his strong muscles. And um, y'all give my brother David a round of applause here. I walked over to him. I said, hey, man, I need your muscles on stage. And he looked at me like, really, Pastor? David is an introvert, and so he's going to beat me up after this. And so I'm just going to ask him to stand right here real quick. And uh, I had to explain. Uh, my daughter didn't know what this was, and I felt like I failed as a parent. This is a tape, ladies and gentlemen, for okay people under the age of 25. This is a tape. It plays music or sermons, a cassette tape, not a videotape, as my child thought of me. Dad's doing something with a videotape, Mom. And... Uh, this is an audio tape. You put it in a tape deck, which I have in my car, so I thought my kids would understand that. And, um, and so, so you just see this very easily. In fact, we'll get the other David. Other David, come on up here. We've got two Davids today. Yep. Come on, David Carney. I don't want, I don't, I, you don't want this David to be, you know, like left out and all that sort of stuff. So can you hold this tape in two hands there? All right, I want you to demonstrate for this audience. I want you to just rip that tape. Just break it. All right, easy or hard? Easy. Wasn't a trick question, right? Okay, good. So tape, tape, just easily broken. All right, good. Now, my brother, other David, put your hands together. You are now under arrest by the tape police. Oh, you want to go bare skin. I don't recommend that. Put them a little closer together there. And uh, we're going to see if we can hold that there. <clears throat> All right, we're going to have some fun with this. you got to put them closer together than that. But yeah, best you got. All right, what do you think here, David? Do you think this is going to work? Oh, he said we're going to need more. 
Lydia, go to my car. Get all the tapes. Don't worry about what mixtape that is. It's my outcast. Got rid of all those after I became a pastor, but. All right, what do you think, David? Do you think that's enough? Keep going. It's a strong dude here, man. I don't want this to. I feel like I feel like uh, we need some. Clown song. Oh. oh, there we go. Okay, I broke there. All right, so we got our brother David there. Now uh, I would like you to break out of that. <laughs> oh, nice job, nice job. Give him a round of applause. All right, easy or hard? A little harder. Now I could have kept going here. I got about another 30 minutes. Okay, let's give both these guys a round of applause. You don't have to worry about cleaning that up. That's why I'm the pastor. All right, you guys may be seated. Oh, you did clean it up. David is a sir, and he's taking it with him. You can keep that to remember me by the time my pastor tied me up. That's right. Don't listen to it backwards, though. What's what's going on here? One, One little piece of tape is so easy. Right. That David could just snap through. But when you get the tape together, it starts to make it a whole lot stronger. Maybe you're familiar with the passage that says a a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so as a body, as as one Christian, Satan is going to eat your lunch. He'll just pluck you off like that in a heartbeat. But when you're gathered as as the, the body of Christ, it's a whole lot, whole lot harder to be broken apart. And so when you commit yourself to the local body, it is good for you. Fourthly, it's good for your leaders. Fourthly, it's good for your leaders. We'll move on pretty quickly here. When you make a commitment to the local church, it's good for your leaders. The leaders, myself, the other elders and leaders here, we're held accountable for how we shepherd the sheep. But but what sheep are we responsible for? Am I responsible for the sheep over at the Red Church or at the Episcopal Church? Am I responsible for those sheep? No, I'm I'm responsible for the sheep that are committed here. And so how are we supposed to know who they are? We don't know unless they're part of the team, right? Every team has a roster, doesn't it? Yeah, right? You just don't show up and be like, I'm playing in the NFL today. Not on the roster. you got to be part of the team. And so look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Peter says this. So he says, I exhort the elders, that's the spiritual leaders of the church, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is what? That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, right? There are some that are in our charge, but others that are not, but being examples to the flock. Hebrews 13 17 uh, reminds us, man, that, that, that as we are gathered together and, and, we, and we go on, it says, obey your leaders, right? That's the job of the church and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to what? 
give an account. I have to give an account, but who do I give an account to? I give an account to God, and who do I give an account for? For the sheep that God has given me. I don't give an account for just some random person or for Christians in Tanzania or in Nigeria or in China. I don't give an account for them because they're not the sheep here and the elders as well alongside me. And so it's good for your leaders. Fifthly, it's good for unbelievers. It's good for unbelievers. We are one body, right? And we are called to bless our city, to bless our neighborhoods, to bless our community. And we're called to reach out to the lost. But if we're just a bunch of body parts sitting in a box, we can't do that very well, can we? But for the lost, when we move as one body, we get to do God's work and it blesses our city when we do it together. But you can't do that if you're not committed. If you're like, oh, you know, I don't think I'll be a part of that thing. But when you're committed, you're like, you know what? I'm committed to this church. I'm committed to the mission here and I'm going to do what I need to do because otherwise everyone misses out. Ephesians 3.10 says this. Ephesians 3.10 says, so that through who? Through the church, through the church, that's not the building, folks, right? That's the people, the people who are committed to this local assembly. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might may be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. How does God's wisdom get known amongst the world? It's through the church. The verse we read earlier, John 13, 35, says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How will people know? How does the world know? It's because we have deep, committed love for one another. And so we are a powerful witness to the world, right, when we love one another. We're different races. We're different social economic status, different political associations. We love one another. People are like, why do you guys hang out together? How do you love one another? Don't you guys disagree about this and that? Yeah, we do disagree, but we have something so much greater that unites us, something so much bigger. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he loved me. He loved that person. So we disagree about this politically and this musically or this because of whatever. Uh, But man, we come together and and break bread and have fellowship because God has rescued us. And that is a powerful witness. It's a powerful apologetic, a powerful example to the lost world for unbelievers. And then finally is this. It's good for your perseverance. This is finally. It's good for your perseverance. Back to the text we were looking at in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Notice uh, what he says there, he says, uh, I'm in verse 24, actually. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And then what does he say? And all the more as you see the day approaching, all the more as you head and move forward in time, more move towards the second coming of Christ and move towards your own eternal destiny because every day you move forward is closer to the day you're going to go home and as an individual before God and stand before him. And so the Bible says that there is the perseverance of the saints. Matthew 24, 13 says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. As Christians, we endure and we stay faithful to God through the whole time that we're on this earth, right? But as that song said, we're prone to wander. You might be 58 and prone to wander. You might be 78 and temptation can come and you're prone to wander. And that might give evidence to the fact that you were never really saved. But man, when you're persevering to the end and and you know that, man, being committed to the local church helps you stay on the path. Look at the rest of, uh, if you have your Bible there, if not, it'll be on the screen. But the rest of Hebrews chapter 10, I didn't read all this, but. Uh, Notice just what he says, how he expounds upon this in verse 26. 
Verse 26, he says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, die, in other words, doesn't do what is commanded, right, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Look at verse 29. He says, how much worse the punishment do you think? will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and and has outraged the Spirit of grace. And so he's saying here, man, you as you move forward in time, Christians persevere to the end by God's grace, not by our own works. But how do you know when you move forward in time and you don't peel off, right, and just like give up? Down at verse uh, 31, if you... Look down in your Bible a little bit, verse 31. It says this, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God apart from Christ. And then verse 39, he says this, But we are not like those who shrink back. Right? Some people say they believe and claim they're Christians, but they shrink back. Right? And they never really were saved. They never really were Christians. And it says, They shrink back and are destroyed. But those who have faith and what? Persevere. They persevere. They preserve their souls. They have faith and they persevere. Again, not by their good works, not by becoming a church member, but being committed to a local church is good for your perseverance because it helps you stay on the path. James chapter 5, the brother of Jesus said this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let it be known to him that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from what? Death and will cover over a multitude of sins. So this idea that we're all prone to wander, man, and, and if we're not committed to the local church, we, we might be prone to wander and get off on some crazy mess. And so how do you make a commitment to the local church? How do you make a commitment? Well, more important than a, a commitment is, is a covenant, is your actions. And so this is why it's covenant signing month is for us to consider we are signing these covenants. And so... It is, we've been reminding you of this uh, every week and want to encourage you to do that. And again, if you're like, you know what, Pastor, I don't want to be a member here. That's okay. That is okay. As long as you become a committed member someplace else where you can grow and do all these things that we've looked at. But as I said, and I want to encourage you, maybe even perhaps as part of the response is to pray over that covenant, to, to sign it and return it if you haven't done that. But more importantly than signing it is living it out. And if I may quote Dr. Martin Luther King one more time, he said this, just such a beautiful way of of talking about our actions and our words. He said this, he says, one of the greatest tragedies of life is that man seldom bridge the gulf between practice and profession, between doing and saying. A persistent schizophrenia leaves so many of us tragically divided against ourselves. On the one hand, we proudly profess a certain sublime and noble principles. But on the other hand, we sadly practice the very antithesis of these principles. How often are our lives characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds? Did you get that? I can't can't speak it like Dr. King did, okay? I know I'm terrible at, at trying to emulate that. But did you see the genius of that statement? How often our lives are characterized by the high blood pressure of our creeds. In other words, we say we believe this, we say we say we believe, but we have an anemia, a lack of iron, a lack of true blood flowing in us in our deeds. 
We talk eloquently about our commitment to the principles of Christianity, and yet our lives are saturated with the practices of paganism. We proclaim our devotion to democracy, but yet we sadly practice the very opposite of the democratic creed. We talk passionately about peace and at the same time assiduously prepare for war. We make our fervent pleas for the high road of justice. And then we tread unflinchingly on the low road of injustice. A strange dichotomy. This agonizing gulf between the ought and, and represents the tragic theme of man's earthly pilgrimage. And so it's crazy to think about what we do, this, this tragedy that between what we practice and what we profess. So the most important thing is not necessarily signing the commitment, but is making that commitment in your heart. And here's why I would think you would be encouraged to do that is because we serve a covenant-keeping God. Why make a covenant here with the believers here? You're not making it to me. Covenant is not to a pastor. That covenant is to the people that are next to you. That covenant is most importantly to God saying, God, I will be a part of this local assembly, and I'm going to commit myself to these people to loving them, imperfect as I am, imperfect as they are. I'm going to commit. Because you know what? God is a covenant-keeping God. Judges 2 reminds us when the broken people in the, in the book of Judges, he says, now the angel Lord went up from Gilgam to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. And he said, I will never break my covenant with you. We're here to celebrate Jesus, folks. We're here to encourage you. If you don't, if you're from the outside looking in at what is a church family, you're not a Christian, you're not having given your life to Christ yet. This is what it means. We're celebrating this covenant keeping God by covenanting back with him, saying, yes, I will do this because you have committed to me. I love because you first loved me. Jesus was much like the, the ham in that story I told you earlier, right? He wasn't like the egg. Jesus didn't see all of us in our sin and our brokenness destined for the judgment of God and say, I'll be involved. I'll, I'll help a little bit. I'll give them a few eggs. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave his life on the cross. He shed his blood. He, wasn't, he didn't become the ham. He became the lamb, folks. The lamb of God that was slaughtered for you and for me. He committed his entire being to save us. And I believe he's asking us, those of us who call on the name of Christ, to be committed to a local church. And if you're here and you're like, yes, Plaza's my, my family, then commit here. And if you're not, then Please commit someplace else and, and do what God has called you to do. We're going to have a time of response. So I'm going to ask that we bow our heads, have a time of prayer as our worship team prepares to come up. Father, I just want to ask for myself, for all of us here. God, that you would help us. Lord, it's by your grace. I, we don't make a covenant. We don't make a commitment apart from your grace enabling us equipping us, strengthening us. And so, Lord, as we have this abide month and we're in your presence, we're also reminded that we are called to live in community with others, not to be solitary saints, lone ranger Christians, but to make a commitment to a local body. So, Father, help us to do that. But, Lord, the reason we do any of that is because you first made a covenant with us. When we were wayward, when we despised you, when we hated you, when we were in our sin, when we were in the gutter, you came to us and you made a covenant with us that I'm not going to break my covenant with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I will pursue you until you die. I will come after you. 
with my love, with my forgiveness, with my grace. Thank you for that. We're here to celebrate Jesus, the covenant-keeping God. So, Father, we pray that you be glorified. I pray if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ, they would run to you as the covenant-keeping God. They wouldn't worry about church membership or anything like that. That would be way down the line. What they need first is a relationship. They need to abide in you first. That's the first step. Being committed to the body happens after that. So, Father, give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name.